Before I start the reading, I will let you know that there are about 26 quite hard-to-pronounce names in this reading. Now, I'm going to give it my best shot, but what I would like to say is please don't get distracted by the names. The names are there because the writer of the book of Nehemiah wanted us to know about these individual people, felt they were important enough to put their names in. But obviously we don't know much about them. So if you can bear with me and also try and keep the flow of the passage in your mind, maybe think about individuals you know during that bit and then you won't worry about how I'm pronouncing it. Okay, so the reading is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7 and the very last bit of verse 73. You can find this on page 491 of the Church Bibles, Nehemiah 7, the very, very end of 73. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They took Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Petaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Barney, Sherebiah, Jarmin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Marciah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. 
Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Um, thank you for reading so clearly, Mandy. Um, and uh, let's pray together as we ask God for help in understanding what we've read. Heavenly Father, uh, our prayer tonight is that you would build us. Build us together. And therefore we pray that you would help us to listen humbly and that your spirit would change us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I should have said yes. Hello everyone, uh, my name's Chris. And uh, if I don't know you, haven't met you before, then uh, it'd be lovely to do that afterwards. There'll be a chance to do that over a tea and coffee afterwards. Um, How do you build a community? How do you build a community? Um, I like the website WikiHow. You can find out how to do anything on that. Brilliant, brilliant website. Uh, WikiHow says, how do you build a community? Uh, has 13 steps to doing that, which I found quite interesting to see. You could look it up later. It's up there. Blah, blah, blah. This is what you need to do. Number 10, weed out bad people. Interesting. Okay. How do you build a community? How do you do that? How does God build his community? That's a different question. Uh, Here at St. John's, we would say that we are uh, God's community. We uh, meet together in God's name. Uh, Most of us would say we follow Jesus Christ. We would say we are God's community here, rightly so. How does God build us? Because we're a complicated building project. Uh, We have all arrived here at St. John's at different times. I've been here a year and a half. I don't know about you since then or much longer than that, perhaps. Arrived at different times. Uh, We have all sorts of different Backgrounds, personalities, tastes, opinions, appearances, all sorts of differences. We are a a complicated building project. How does God, how is he going to make us strong? How how does he make us, how does he grow us? How does he make us into his community more and more? How how is he going to shape us? How is he going to do that? Um, as we heard earlier, we're in this, our sermon series in Nehemiah, uh, the second week in this, uh, about really the series is growing the community. Uh, Nehemiah, you might not be familiar with the book necessarily, um, it comes halfway through the Old Testament as, you, as we read it, uh, but chronologically it comes right at the end of the Old Testament, right at the end. And God's people, uh, they were in the promised land and then they were 
banished from the promised land for disobeying God, being unfaithful. Uh, They were in exile, which is humiliating. Uh, But then they have been returning to the promised land. They've been returning, and then they've been rebuilding, and rebuilding the walls, rebuilding part of the temple. There's been rebuilding, but it's not enough. They're not restored yet. They need building up. And for that, they need to hear from God. And that's where we join it tonight. This great assembly gathering together to hear from God. Um, So let's get into the passage, into a few different sections. Well, let's look at the first section together. So first of all, the people, um, they gathered to listen. They gathered to listen. Let me recap the first few bits. Um, So when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gates. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So a, a city rally is happening. City rally, and Ezra, the priest, um, uh, brings out the book of the law of Moses. Now, now what is that? Um, uh, it's, what is it referring to? Well, either the first five books of the Old Testament, or perhaps just the fifth Deuteronomy, uh, but it's kind of God's law that had been given to God's people through uh, Moses, the great prophet Moses, who you might have heard of. And they had not heard from this book of the law for a long, long time. It's been a long gap. They hadn't been hearing from it. They're going to read it. Now notice who's there in this gathering. It says, all who are able to understand. Ah, So it's not just a a select few people. It's all who can understand. Whatever age, very young, probably. Uh, Notice where they are as well. Uh, Verse 1 and 3 says, uh, they're at the water gate. Uh, So that's interesting. So they're not at the temple. They're actually at a a gate. They're at the the center of city life. Uh, So they're not at the temple. They're not having a kind of a a religious timeout, you could say. This is about everyday street life. That's what it's about. That's where they're they're at the gates. Notice their posture as well, the people. Verse 3 at the end there, they listened attentively as it was read. So again, it's not that um, the people arrive for the assembly and they get out of their deck chairs. You know, um, I'm going to lie in my deck chair, I'm going to listen, but yeah, I know I'm probably going to fall asleep, you know, you know that feeling. It's not that. It's more that they're kind of, they're craning their necks. They really want to listen. They're listening attentively. I want to hear, I want to hear. One author um, describes that the people are coming together here with a, a consuming concern to listen to God. A consuming concern. I find that a helpful phrase, that. So the people are gathering uh, deliberately, on purpose, precisely to hear from God. And they're gathering kind of desperately, really, you could say. They, they really want to hear from him. It's been so long. They need to hear from God. 
a consuming concern to listen to him. Why does this matter for us? Why does it matter for us? Well, I think we see here that to be ready as God's community to hear from God, well, that means gathering deliberately, desperately to listen to him. Coming deliberately, desperately to listen to him. That's kind of, that's what means we're ready to hear from him. And he might have a, a couple of questions. One question would be, um, and this was a long time ago, what about us today? What do we listen to? And we would say that we listen to uh, the whole of Scripture, not just the Old Testament, but how that climaxes in the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. So the whole Scripture, old and new, that's God's word, we would say. That phrase, God's word, God's speaking, addressing humanity. That's what we listen to. But you might also be asking, well, why should we listen at all, actually? Our culture would say frequently, in all sorts of ways, listening to another, really, uh, that's, that's kind of a bad thing. You know, listen to yourself, that's really good, that's what you've got to do. Listen to another, that, that's, that's not good, that's bad, actually. But that is a flawed way of thinking, and our culture would say it so much, but it is a flawed way of thinking. Uh, because listening just to ourselves, the main authority, well, that goes badly wrong, really. I mean, just think of a very silly example. Uh, not long ago, I, I got fined for parking in the wrong car park. And I was a bit of a rush, and I thought, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But no, you know what, I know it's going to be fine. I'm, I'm just saying it's going to be fine, but it wasn't fine. I wanted it to be fine. I was... Yeah. I needed to listen. It was a fine. Exactly. It was actually a fine. I like that. <laughs> I needed to listen. It matters. We, we need to come together to listen, especially when it comes to God. They gathered to listen. They gathered to listen. Uh, secondly, secondly, they worked hard. They worked to understand They worked to understand. So let's pick it up in verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood six people, and on his left were seven people. Anyway, won't go through the names again. Anyway, so the stage is set. The stage is set. Literally, Ezra is standing on it, ready to read the book. And then verse 5. Ezra opened the book. Really interesting. That, that, so Ezra, it's not that he's going to be talking about the book. It's not that he's going to be making up the book. He's opened the book. He's reading from it. That's very significant. And look at the response. Uh, so verse, carry on, verse 5. Um, this is the response. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the book, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The book is open, and they they worship God. Not worshipping the book, but worshipping God. It's the Lord's book. And it's for that reason, because it's the Lord's book, the Lord addressing them. 
What they do then is that they work hard to understand what is being said. So again, verse verse 7 there. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Uh, the phrase kind of making it clear. You could also kind of render it, um, they read it clearly. So you've got the Levites, uh, the kind of temple workers. It's a, imagine it's a bit like this. It seems that kind of as the law is being read from the front, uh, and maybe in pauses at different times, the Levites are kind of going in and among the people. And they're talking to them. It's like, it's like, did you get that clearly? Do you get the meaning of that? Do you see the meaning? Do you understand what was being said? Do you see that? What about you? Do you get, do you hear, did you hear that clearly? Do you get the meaning of that? Do you understand what was being said? Great, brilliant. And then on and on and on and on and on. They're working at understanding what was being said. Understanding God's words meaningfully takes work. It does. And Neil alluded to that earlier. It takes work. And that's why, of course, you know, for our uh, leaders here at church at St. John's, uh, for our leaders, our preachers, our small group leaders, our youth and children's leaders, all that kind of thing, we, we want to work to, because we want to understand what the Bible is saying. And that, that does take effort. Our work, of course, we want to do that for anyone in that kind of responsibility. But for us all as well, it takes work for us all. I think we can say that. I don't mean that um, all of us need a PhD in theology to hear from God's word and to understand it. Bear in mind, look, remember, this is all who were able to understand. Probably of you know, all kind of ages were there. You don't need a PhD. It's not about that. But it does mean being deliberate, having an attitude of listening. I want to listen. An attitude of humility. I, I need to listen. I I want to hear the explanation. I want to understand it more. And let me take that in. Ah, yes, I need to take that in. I need to hear that. Just that kind of work to let it go into us. Um, I watch the, read the news on my phone. Um, and kind of quite early on in the morning and at different times of the day, I, yeah, I get my smartphone out and I go on BBC News. I don't really like it especially, but I go, I go to go there instinctively. I read the news articles. Quite often I read a paragraph, maybe two, three, maybe. And then, you know, on to the next one. Paragraph two, three. Yep, got that. That's just instinctively how I read the news sometimes. And I think, oh, what have I read? Trump was doing something. Something was going on in China. Yeah, and what I've read hasn't gone down very deep into me at all. It hasn't sunk in. The details haven't got that. I'm sure you know that kind of thing for yourselves, possibly. But is that how I read the Bible? Is that how I listen to sermons? It's not going deep if I'm having that kind of attitude as I come to it. Instead, let's just take the work that 
um, God will use to help his word go into us deeply. And in all sorts of ways, but even like afterwards, after a service, for example, we can be chatting and we can say, kind of, um, do you know what that was all about? Oh, yes, that's what we're being talked about. Or uh, does, does that matter for us? Oh, let's talk about that. I, I didn't quite get that. I, wasn't, I want that to be clear. I want to get the meaning of that. I want to understand. We can have those kind of chats and just kind of jog ourselves to help God's word go deep, to remember. It takes that kind of work. Understanding God's word meaningfully takes work. It takes work. And we can all do that kind of work. They worked to understand And then finally, finally, they celebrated God's grace. They celebrated God's grace. So verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and spend some, uh, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. And all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. See what's going on. The, the Spirit, God's Spirit has clearly been at work among the people here. Clearly has been convicting the people from what they've been hearing clearly been opening their hearts, softening their hearts to God's word. Clearly the Spirit's been deeply at work here. And a, kind of, such a roller coaster the people have been on. They've been listening and then understanding and then mourning, weeping and mourning for their sin as they hear about God's holiness and faithfulness and yet there as the people's kind of unfaithfulness and their disobedience, they're realizing their sin, they're mourning for their sin, they're weeping over it. But, but then to joy out the other side because they see God's grace that he would have them back. I love Nehemiah's role here. Do you love that? Do you see that? Um, Nehemiah says, go on. Enjoy, celebrate, go to the shops, go to M&S as the weather, go and buy stuff, celebrate, this is great, this is good news, we've heard about God's grace. You know, the people are like, okay, fine, I need to go shopping, uh, let's go, have you got money? What? You just... Celebrating God's grace. You might have heard of um, a lady called um, uh, Shamima Begum, heard of her? in the news actually just yesterday again. Uh, Shamima Begum, she was um, from East London, and as a schoolgirl, she uh, fled to Syria to join Islamic State. A very bad decision. And she's been out there ever since. And a whole hoo-ha last year about the UK government uh, taking away her passport, her citizenship, all that kind of thing. Terrible mistake that she made in, in going out to Syria 
Shamima Begum ran away from her family. And how devastating that would be for her family. Ran away from them and became an accomplice to awful things in Syria. Dreadful things. She has blood in her hands. Awful things out there. And you think of her parents. You think of her parents. They would have absolutely every right to say, we're not going to even call you by your name again. We, We disown you. What you have done is beyond forgivable. There is no way back for you. That would be understandable, right? Imagine if uh, Shamima Begum does come back to the UK and she's somehow has agreed that she's going to meet her parents at the airport. What on earth would be going through her head? I'm going to meet my parents again after all I did to them. What are they going to say to me? What word are they going to give to me? And then she turns up and they say, welcome back. We delight in you. We delight in you. Imagine that. That's like Israel here for so long and they totally rebelled against God, totally unfaithful to him, ran after other gods, did horrendous things, sacrificed to idols and all. But God... Here welcomes them back. Even though he's holy and perfect and their sin is horrendous, he says, I delight in you. I delight in you. That is God's grace, totally undeserved. Do you know God's grace to you? Do you know it? We are, you could say spiritually, we are. Shamima Begums. The way we treat God naturally in our hearts, awful ways we treat him and run after other things, unfaithful to him, all those things. By Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God. Beyond forgiveness we should be, really. And God says, I'll delight in you. Do you know God's grace to you? It is the grace through Jesus Christ, for us, the other side of Jesus. The grace through Jesus. Jesus Jesus was crucified. And in that, it's as if, in a sense, spiritually, he became Shemima Begum for us. Shamed, bloodied, disowned by God the Father as his judgment came down on God the Son, Jesus. Jesus' grace to us to die for us. Do you know God's grace to you? We need to hear God's word of grace. I delight in you. I delight in you, even though I shouldn't. And we need to pray for the Spirit to convict us of this as we come to hear his word of grace through the Bible. This is God's this is the book of God's grace ready for us to hear and to change us. This is the book of God's grace for us individually, certainly, but also as a community. So important. As a community, how much we need to hear God's word of grace to us and to have him convict us by the Spirit. I just want to end by just going into that a little bit more about how that is so important. So, 
how does God's word of grace that we've heard, how, how does that build us as a community? How, how does that actually happen? Well, just to tease it out a little bit, in three ways for us as a community, in three ways at least. First of all, it makes us a humble people. A humble people. We get into conflict. We rub up against each other. But God's word of grace reminds us that we all sin. We all get things deeply wrong. We all make mistakes and therefore we can forgive and be forgiven. God's grace makes us humble. Makes us humble. That's why we need it so much. It also makes us a a happy people, God's grace. So uh, this joy that we've heard about through God's grace, this is, if we, this, for God's community, this is to be the shared joy. You know, it's possible to have our deepest joy on anything. It could be anything in this world. But in God's community, this is the joy that we share, God's grace to us. How he delights in us. This is, this is the thing, this is that binds us as a community together and builds us up. And lastly, it makes us a horizontal people. What do I mean by that? In the world, we, competition. Competition everywhere. I look down on you. I, look, I don't like looking up at you. Competition. That's, that's everywhere in society. But there's no competition in God's community. We are horizontal people. Because no one is better by nature than anyone else. No one has anything to be proud of to our credit. It's only to God's credit. We're all desperate for God's grace. You see, it makes us horizontal. That's how it brings us together and binds us and makes us stronger and shapes us as God's community. Uh, Several years ago, um, at a previous church, uh, there was a married couple... Uh, who got into real difficulty in their marriage. Uh, one had had an affair, and um, they were both kind of to blame, but one had had an affair. And the marriage had broken, and it broke the community of the church as well, because they were both part of the church. And it was, you know, the breakage it broke part of the community. Uh, but they agreed that they would both you know, be happy for each other to keep coming to church, to, to listen to the good news of Jesus. And over time, the Spirit convicted them of God's grace for them and completely changed everything. It brought them together. It, it, it healed what was seemingly impossible to heal. It, they rebuilt their marriage. And what an impact that had on us as a church, as our community, seeing that God's grace could do that building work like that. It, I remember that so distinctly. We saw God's grace at work through his word. Amazing. This is how God builds his community. We need God's word. Because we need God's grace to change us by his spirit. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we, we want to praise you for how gracious you are to us. So gracious. Praise you, Lord, how good you are. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus, that he took our sin and our shame so that we can even approach you. And we thank you for your words. Thank you for the Bible, that we can know your grace again and again and again and again to restore us. We are sorry. We're sorry for all sorts of things. We're sorry for sometimes we don't even want to come to church. Sometimes we can't even be bothered to listen to your word. And we know that temptation. But we're sorry for those things. Please, Lord, would your spirit put your word deep into our hearts. Help us treasure your words because we treasure your grace. Shape us into a community that is humble, happy, and horizontal with none of that competition. And we pray this for our good and we pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.